0: 1130 here on a Thursday, time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN as uh, we will uh, take a close look at a lot of the issues taking place across our Great Plains. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jason Jorgensen's in here. We'll also be hearing uh, about business reports. And uh, let's check in first, though, with Susan Littlefield and Farm.
1: Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team on this Thursday. Alex kicks everything off at 12.19 as the Rural Fellows applications are officially open. Then at 12.45, I'll be speaking with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce as we talk about CFAP 2 and what that means for producers. Then at 117, Chebello wraps everything up, talking the Platt Institute and the Nebraska Farm Bureau with the economy. That's a midday from the farm team.
0: All right, and thank you so much, Susan. A lot going on there. Let's turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. And, Jason, you just heard that a guy who wanted to be uh, very unique and be with one team his whole career has decided to call it a career. Yeah, it
2: just came across in the last uh, 15 minutes or so, but uh, Alex Gordon has announced he's going to retire as a Royal this Sunday in the Royal season finale against the Tigers. What a career he had, and... You know, there were there was a while there where we didn't know how it was going to work out for mm-hmm. him. He started out as a third baseman, right. uh struggled to hit, then as kind of a last resort, they sent him out to left field and that took and the next thing you know he's seven time gold glove award a winner out there and uh, among the franchise's all time leaders in most offensive categories. Uh, sixteen postseason games during the two thousand fifteen World Series run and it's good to see him Wrap up as a royal. Fourteen years,
0: probably go down as one of the more popular royals too, right? You
2: would think so, especially you know being a former Husker and you know that connection there between Nebraska and Kansas City. You know he was pretty decent last year. This year he struggled a little mm-hmm. bit, but then there's a lot of guys, good players, who have struggled this year just because everything's been so different. But if you watch any amount of the Royals, it, it, it's time. Hmm. Still has it on out the outfield, not. Not as versatile as he used to be, but still a killer arm, but it's at the plate. I think I saw last night he's hitting two thirteen with four home runs and eleven RBIs. You you gotta get more out of a corner outfield spot than that.
0: Yep, yep. It's tough to say go tough to go, but uh, there are times.
2: And you know, and after the big World Series year there was a chance he could have left as a free agent. It Kinda looked like he would, and yep. then he decided to come back and then last year he signed another one year deal, but that's that's great to see. The only sad thing is on Sunday there won't be anybody there. To send him off with no fans, but I'm sure if fans are allowed back next year. They'll they'll bring Alex Gordon back for Alex Gordon Day.
0: Well, that's that's pretty cool. That's a neat story. You just don't see very no. often guys that stick around, sh- Tony Gwynn type guys that just stick around. Derek Jeter. So, all right, thank you, Jason, very much. Let's take a look at business real quick here. Uh, stocks in the green right now. Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 92. Nasdaq up 80, and the Standard and Poor is up 16 right now. As uh, Wall Street uh, in another round of volatile trading. The headline report showed that 870,000 workers filed for unemployment claims last week. And that's a little worse than the economists had expected. But stocks recovered from their early losses following uh, a report on home sales that was much stronger than economists had expected. And we'll hear more from Brandon on that as uh, it comes during
3: the 12 o'clock hour. Let's turn it over for more with Clay. We talk now with Mike Zuzlow, Global Commodity Analytics, of our midday check of the trade. And, Mike, we get out a lot of data today in terms of export sales and export shipments. And, overall, you got to think soybeans, 3 million metric tons there in the net sales. Of course, China, a big player in all of the grains. But here at the midday, we're still lower with soybeans leading us both percentage-wise and cent-wise to the downside.
4: Yeah, I think that's a real good place to start, Clay, because we did, as you said, had 117.4 million bushels of soybean export sales above the highest trade guess, 84.2 million bushels of corn export sales, 19% above the highest trade guess. Interesting to note that China took about 26% of the corn total. So we have this type of demand, but we don't see the price reaction following the demand. So there, I think, makes it very easy to see... Given these strong weekly corn and, ex- uh, corn and soybean export sales, the currencies and the deflationary safe haven expectations are still very much in play again here today.
3: We look, and wheat has trying to make its own rally a time or two. Is this the fact of the dollar getting a little bit softer at the midday, or is this more of these continued uh, drought concerns across much of the Midwest with the drought monitor coming out today and looking very dry across much of the
5: Midwest?
4: I would say it's probably both, and I think, Clay, by talking about the wheat, I think that's our leader going into today's close. If we're going to have already put in the daily lows here at mid-session, I think it's going to be because of the wheat market and that dollar shifting. It does look like the dollar technicals are a bit overdone on the bullish side. We don't know that for a fact, obviously, but we're also seeing the gold market and the metals market coming off their lows. And I think also one thing that maybe will help the row crops out a little bit if we do get the wheat market turned around is the noon G F model that noon update is showing a wetter weekend as we close out the weekend especially east of the Mississippi River and you know just yesterday we were still looking at about six or seven days wide open across the whole corn and bean belt so these three things the dollar the wheat the wetter weather maybe will help offset these technicals and this the stronger harvest yields uh, in soybeans especially as we close out the day.
3: Then you go over into the livestock trade, and that's where cattle want to seem to be playing the opposite of hogs, and are hogs seeing just pre-positioning ahead of the quarterly hogs and pigs this afternoon?
4: I think that's exactly it. We now have, I think, this hogs and pigs report, maybe a... a a reduction in breeding inventory may be more of a reduction in fatter sows or fatter marketing pigs. And so the breeding inventory number, the marketing numbers are going to be key. But in light of the hogs and pigs report, we are seeing some pulling back. And I think it's because those export sales for pork were lower at just under 38,000 metric tons. That was down about 13% from the four-week average versus the beef sales, which were 36% above the four-week average with China taking almost a fifth of the total. So we have that traditional Additional sell hogs buy cattle makes sense but the hogs and pigs report but we could reverse tomorrow with cattle on feed coming out tomorrow afternoon
3: and just briefly golden week starts one week away from today any thoughts there on pork exports or soybean exports in general going into that prime holiday for china
4: market is already expecting in my opinion clay that we are going to slow down on both the pork and bean trade i think this is already starting to be built into today's prices and this week's prices
3: And again, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. If you'd like to discuss Mike or how Mike can play in his strategy of helping you manage risk and loss on your farm or ranching operation, visit GlobalComResearch.com. That's GlobalCom with two M's, Research.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. As well, you can catch any of Mike's comments daily as a podcast at Rural Radio or KRVN.com.
6: K-R-V-N, 93.1 The River, and Cami have always blazed new trails. This year is no different. We're giving you a chance to win a brand new Chevrolet Blazer. And not just any Blazer. A 2020 Blazer loaded with extra details like tinted windows and a custom paint job. For your first look, go to krvn.com and check it out. Be listening because we'll be giving more details on how you can get registered to win the Blazer this fall. We are blazing new trails thanks to these partners Eustace Body Shop, Eustace, Cozad, Lexington, Kearney, Grand Island, and Lincoln, Heartland Chevrolet and Buick, Lexington, Nutrient Ag Solutions, Suretop Angus and Charlet, Farnham, Cornerstone Bank. Member FDIC, with 43 locations serving Nebraska, Central Valley Irrigation, Holdridge, Lexington, Kearney, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group, and Lexington Regional Health Center.
0: Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. You know, and Paula's weird of a year as 2020 has been, we actually, and I'm knocking on wood somewhere... We've actually we had a pretty good uh, planting season, and so far, harvest weather-wise has been pretty good.
7: Yeah, you really can't complain if you're wanting to get the crops out right now because the forecast has been dry, and it's looking dry over the next 14 days, so a pretty big window to get things done.
0: Yeah, so that's that's really good. Still seeing some haze in, in a lot of areas. those That doesn't quite want to go away, does it?
7: No, exactly. Of course, it's thanks to some wildfires that have continued to burn into Wyoming and Colorado, now And it looks like we may be seeing some of that thicker haze as you go into the northern part of the Nebraska Panhandle, but some of it also some cloud cover. But we are seeing a thin layer of haze in our area, but it's really not affecting the sunlight as it has, of course, over the last uh, couple of weeks prior to that. But currently we have temperatures for the most part across the area in the low to mid-70s, at least in here in Nebraska, into northern Kansas, those temperatures more so in the mid to upper 70s, including up to 80 already at Oberlin and some low 80s in the northeast part of Nebraska, or the northeast part of Colorado, But once again, most of us in the low to mid-70s. Sunshine for today with temperatures about 15 degrees warmer than normal this second full day of fall. Uh, norm, warmer than normal thanks to a big ridge of high pressure continuing its hold over the central plains, and that will continue through tomorrow, the warmest day of the next seven, coming up tomorrow with many of us Expecting to see highs on into the 90s. Any fire concerns for today and tomorrow will be alleviated by some light winds. Temperatures will still be about 10 degrees warmer than normal as we head towards Saturday. That's despite the passage of a weak cold front. Even cooler air, though, will drop our temperatures to actual seasonal levels on Sunday. Monday, we'll see a spike up in those temperatures and be slightly warmer than normal, just ahead of a stronger cold front. Daytime highs behind that stronger cold front cooling to the 60s for the middle part of next week. And our latest rainfall forecast from the Weather Prediction Center indicating our region will remain dry the next seven days. Now, by Thursday morning of next week, light winds and clear skies. That should result in some widespread temperatures. Get this into the 30s, and we are looking at the chance of some frost by next Thursday morning, pretty now, much region wide.
0: I saw that uh, our average time for a freeze is usually kind of that first week of October. So exactly, so we might get it.
7: Exactly, frost uh, not too much out of the question or out of the norm for this time uh, this time of year. In the long-term forecast, the Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be slightly cooler than normal. For Tuesday through the first seven days of next month, that may change in those later periods as some warmer air begins to encroach from in the west because the main brunt of the cooler air over the next uh, 14 days is going to be off to our east, and much of the warmer air will be off to our west, so we'll be right in the middle and probably be slightly cooler than normal. The low normal rain is very likely for Tuesday through the 7th of October for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. In the regional drop monitor, Nebraska dropped 10 percentage points and is now only 12% drought free with the exception of north central Nebraska and from Lincoln to Hebron much of Nebraska is abnormally dry to a moderate drought there are areas of severe drought in Kearney and Adams counties from Trenton to Ogallala on into the Panhandle and from Norfolk to Omaha extreme drought remains right around West Point in northeast Nebraska and is now found from Morrill to Box Butte County in the Panhandle Kansas dropped 5 percentage points, but they are at 65% drought-free. Much of the northern one tier of counties, the western two rows of counties, and the southeast part of Kansas remain abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe to extreme drought continues right along the Kansas-Colorado border from Wallace County to the southwest corner into the state of Colorado. 50% of Colorado now in stage 3 extreme drought, especially the western half. Weather factors affecting the markets include a forecast of much cooler and mainly dry weather in the Midwest and very little rain in the forecast for central Brazil. The Midwest will be mostly dry the next two weeks, a pattern that favors corn and soybean harvest. Temperatures turn much cooler for the Midwest next week into early next month. Any rain expected with that cooling will be light and bring about only minor delays to harvest. Southern Plains crop and pasture areas will be dry over the next week. The dry trend favors row crop harvest and winter wheat planting. Soil moisture, though, is starting to decline for early wheat development and fall livestock pasturing in the Southern Plains. Central Brazil expects only isolated light showers through the next week, a pattern that's unfavorable for their soybean planting to begin. Southern Brazil will continue to be wetter through the next seven days.
0: Okay, boy, those drought numbers. I don't get your attention, will Yeah,
7: think. exactly. Yeah, 12% now of Nebraska only drought-free, and that's just the south, uh, north-central part, basically Valentine to O'Neill, and then from Lincoln to Hebron. And, yeah, some staggering numbers out of Colorado with 50% of the state in uh, extreme... Uh, what Extreme drought right now, stage three drought for them.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. All right. What a difference a year makes. Holy cow. Well, mm-hmm. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com.
8: KRVN will be broadcasting live in Cairo from the Antique Shop, Junction 2 and 11, Friday from 9 to 11. Stop by and register for the KRVN Blazer and start the Nebraska Junk Jaunt at the junction of Highways 2 and 11 in Cairo.
9: The Rural Fellows Program is now accepting applications as they're seeking 200 students and 100 host communities for the 2021 program. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined on the phone by IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. Mike, thanks for joining us today. First of all, tell us a little bit more about the Rural Fellows Program.
10: Yeah,
11: Alex, this is a a terrific program. Uh, We've had some uh, shifts. The Rural Futures Institute and the Community Vitality Initiative out of Nebraska Extension Um, got married on on July 1. And one of those kind of uh, key parts is something called the Rural Fellows Program. This has been going on since 2013. Rural Fellows have spent 10 weeks living in rural communities across the state. And while they're there, they work with uh, innovators, we call them. These are local leaders that were interested in engaging and tapping the university in this way. All of the communities from 2013 through 2020, it's about an average of $28,000 net positive increase on the economic impact per community. Uh, with this new marriage, the creation of Rural Prosperity Nebraska, this next step, we're doubling down on this uh, fantastic program and we're shooting for uh, increasing the numbers quite significantly. For example, in 2020, we dispatched 15 students to seven uh, Nebraska communities or regions. I would consider them. In 2021, uh, we are looking to send up to 200 students. That's right, 200 students to as many as 100 communities.
9: And that's a huge increase. I mean, you guys went from sending out 15 college students to seven communities last year. And then this coming year, you guys are you're planning to send 200 students to as many as 100 communities across the state. And I guess I'm curious why you guys are seeing such a big increase this year.
11: The reasons there are a couple of them. Uh, First, and perhaps um, really significantly, we are working with the Nebraska Community Foundation. Um, This year, we're combining elements of the Rural Fellows Program and the Nebraska Community Foundation Uh, Hometown Fellows program in a way that allows both of them to uh, continue, but also which leverages the strengths, leverages the uh, assets that both have to offer. and Really, I think the hope is to extend the reach of both.
9: All right, Mike, one more question for you while I've got you on the phone. When's the deadline to apply for these programs?
11: Yeah, there's two two parts to this. Uh, Interested community. So if you're a community leader. And again, this doesn't need to be a town or a city. It can be, but it can also be a region. So, um, can happen at a county level or there can be multiple counties. So if you're, if you have a project, you should apply by October 30th. Students have until November 15th. Again, any student at any college or university in, in the state of Nebraska, um, two year, four year, You are most welcome, and we'd love to have you apply. Um, You can click the Rural Fellows icon at ruralprosperityne.unl.edu.
9: All right, thanks so much for that information. Mike Beam joining us. He's the Vice President and Vice Chancellor of the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. One thing I do want to note that he didn't mention is that housing is provided for these rural fellow opportunities. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
12: It is time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason.
2: Hey, thanks. Well, big news today, Royals outfielder and former Husker Alex Gordon announced that he will retire this Sunday following the season finale against Detroit. Gordon, the seven-time Rawlings Gold and Rawlings Platinum Glove winner, ranks among the franchise's all-time leaders in most offensive categories. He started all 16 postseason games during Kansas City's 2015 World Series run and has played his entire 14-year career with the Royals, making him one of just three position players to play 14 seasons or more with the Royals, joining George Brett and Frank White. Well, the Kansas State football team did not get off to the start of this season that they had hoped for when they were upset two weeks ago at home by Arkansas State. After this past weekend off, things can only get tougher for the Wildcats as they travel to third-ranked Oklahoma. At coach Chris Kleiman has a preview of the Sooners. They have one game on their ledger, so we know it's going to be a tremendous challenge down in Norman. And uh, we're hopeful that uh, we continue to get some guys back that potentially could could help us. Every day is a Uh, different uh, animal on that because you don't know from one day to the next who's going to be out at practice but uh, uh, the guys that are out there yesterday for uh, example just really worked hard and, and are excited about the opportunity. Kickoff between the Wildcats and Sooners is scheduled for 11 on Saturday in Norman. The SEC is set to kick off its 10 game league only schedule this weekend. First week of the season features the debuts of four new SEC coaches they include Lane Kiffin at Mississippi taking on 5th-ranked Florida and Mike Leach at Mississippi State visiting defending national champion LSU. Eight SEC teams begin the season ranked, but only two will take each other on as 23rd-ranked Kentucky visits 8th-ranked Auburn. Hastings College volleyball team outside of the third set made things look pretty easy last night as they knocked off Doan in four. And the L.A. Lakers are looking to regain control of the Western Conference Finals when they face off against the Denver Nuggets tonight in Game 4 top seed, the Lakers lead the series two games to one, but the game's been closer than the Lakers would have liked. After LA won the opener, Denver nearly rallied to win game two and then took game three after the Lakers repeated some of their mistakes from the previous game. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krfn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. It
12: is time for Midday News, and our own Ellen Simmons is in. And boy, the news department, Ellen, you guys are absolutely just crammed today. And obviously, with one of the biggest stories, not only in Nebraska, but uh, in the Midwest as well. Mm -hmm.
10: Yes, so the first-degree murder trial of 26-year-old Bailey Boswell started on Wednesday with potential jurors being asked by a special prosecutor whether they had read or heard anything about the case. Nearly all indicated that they had heard about the case and most nodded they had gotten their information from the media. Boswell is accused, along with co-defendant Aubrey Trail in the 2017 slaying and dismemberment of 24-year-old Sydney Loof of Lincoln. The 52-year-old Trail was found guilty last year and faces a possible death penalty. Boswell's Saline County District Court trial was moved to the Dawson County Courthouse in Lexington because of extensive publicity of the trail case. Potential jurors were told this a capital murder case would, which could lead to the death penalty being imposed. They were asked whether their views of the death penalty could substantially impair their ability to be a juror. Several potential jurors met individually with the judge and attorneys to discuss those concerns and also discuss answers they gave as on a questionnaire. As a result, five jurors were dismissed. Several potential jurors were dismissed earlier for health and business concerns, and one person because he expressed he could be called for firefighting duty by the National Forest Service. Jury selection continues today with the possibility of another day of jury selection on Friday. A special prosecutor says a white Nebraska bar owner who killed himself after being charged with manslaughter for fatally shooting a black man during a May protest had been awaiting, had been waiting to ambush people who were breaking into businesses special prosecutor frederick franklin on wednesday detailed more of the evidence against jake gardner gardner killed himself sunday days after a jury a grand jury indicted him ind, excuse me indicated him in the may 30 death of 22-year-old james Skerlock. the evidence included text messages and videos of the encounter that franklin said countered gardner's claim of self-defense any attorney for Gardner didn't immediately return calls seeking comment wednesday well there w- will be a there is a usda food box distribution today um and t- until 1 p.m at the saint Anne's parish center in lexington so you still have about 30 minutes to go on that tyson is donating boxes of meat and plum creek market will be donated grocery bags containing avocados bell peppers carrots onions cheese eggs tortillas and dry beans the USDA Farmers to Families Bought Food Box program benefits those in need and this program is expected to continue, possibly through the end of the year. Police say a man found dead outside a Grand Island home last month died from a ruptured artery in his brain that was likely clo- caused by methamphetamine, not a homicide as investigators originally thought. Grand Island police say their investigation found no evidence or criminal or of criminal or neg- negligence acts and the death of 37 year old De- devlin kenny police initially reported that kenny had been assaulted and his death was ruled a homicide his body was found in a yard outside a grand island home an autopsy found methamphetamine in kenny's system that police say was a major contributor contributing factor to the ruptured artery they say they now believe he collapsed and hit a fence and the ground causing him to bleed openly we well, you can find more news at krvn.com.
12: Thank you very much, Ellen.
1: Sign up is underway for CFAP 2. And by the way, if you applied for the first CFAP, you can also apply for CFAP 2. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Borough Radio Network. FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce brought me up to date on CFAP 2 and what it means for producers.
13: So, you know, as you remember, Susan, uh, CFAP 1, when we uh, when we kind of put the framework around it and rolled CFAP, the original, the original CFAP program out, that was for a period of time primarily in the first quarter of 2020 and the losses uh, experienced um, you know, either from a price decline or from, you know, disruptions in the supply chain, a whole bunch of things, you know, that affected, um, you know, affected the, the the producers that were, and we knew that the, you know, obviously the coronavirus is still with us. There's There are still impacts. And so, you know, again, and we heard from, you know, lots of folks about, you know, we're still experiencing, you know, a loss in, Loss in prices, um, still, you know, still experiencing some of those things that, you know, are, that are, that are affecting our bottom line directly related to coronavirus. And, and so the CFAP2 basically takes a different look at, um, you know, at, at the effect and for a different period of time. CFAP2 is more uh, designed to address those losses that now have happened after the, after the first quarter of 2020.
1: my understanding too that there's three categories that things kind of fall under
13: there is and so again um you know we when we rolled out cfap one um you know we we had access to a lot of data we the the approach that we uh the, the approach that we took um you know was was sales related inventory related production related depending on what category it was in and and really, just took a new look at how could we, how could we address, um, you know, the losses. How could we provide support? And so we took a little bit different approach. In some cases, in some cases, it's it's fairly similar. Um, and so we we have three categories. It's sales commodities um, that include specialty crops. This time, tobacco, aquaculture. And basically, we're using a sales-based approach, and it's and it's based on 2019 sales. And so, you know, producers of, of specialty crops, tobacco, aquaculture, and, and the things that fall under that category, we're going to take a look at their 2019 sales, and that's just for uh, the production of commodities. It's not for... You know, it's not for anything that, that, that commodity then was, was, um, uh, was had value added to it by doing some processing or additional packaging. Um, but just the value of sales of commodities. And we're going to pay a percentage of that 2019 sales number. And so it's around 10%. Um, there are five gradations, um, in, in the dollar amounts of those sales obviously the higher the dollar amount the lower percentage but but it's very it's very small differences and it's it's basically around t- around ten percent then the second category is the price trigger commodities and that includes row crops livestock dairy um, you know kind of what we would refer to as major commodities that meet a minimum five percent price decline um, and and we're looking out through July so um so for example you know uh we know like dairy production and we're going to ask for some newer more updated uh, da- uh production numbers for dairy operations and then we're going to assess a payment rate per hundredweight based on that production um you know on the livestock side it's a, it's more of an inventory approach and we want to we're going to ask producers to provide us an inventory Um, of market, market type animals that, um, that, that would, that will go into the marketing stream. Um, so we're excluding breeding stock. Um, and we'll get additional guidance out, you know, as far as what is the definition of, of breeding stock. But basically, if you use cattle as an example, it's basically cows that have had calves or have calved and bulls that have been exposed to the herd. Um, if you have if you have bred heifers that haven't calved yet they technically still are market animals if you have young bulls that have not been exposed um, to a herd
1: and cfap two does cover a gamut of agriculture but he talked about the work behind it
13: Uh, you know to analyze all the data certainly as as we've talked before susan you know uh, we had data um on you know major commodities and you know things that have price reporting mechanisms and so on and so we were able to to include those and roll those out first and then you know we had a couple of different announcements as we continued with sign up for cfap one where we you know we asked the public for help and said hey you know we need we need information and we'll analyze it and we'll make our decision and you know, that was a that took a that took a lot of time from a lot of folks. It's it was a pretty big effort. And you know, if you think about what's the impact, um you know, what's the impact to agriculture? Well, you know, it's pretty hard to say there wasn't an impact just about to everyone.
1: That's FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
12: Bureau. It is time for the Midday Business Report. And to do just that, it's our own Brandon Bennett. And, well, Brandon, I, I see some green, but there also is some red mixed in there as well. How are stocks doing here about
14: the 1 o'clock hour? Last Friday for our 540 Talk Time, we talked with Chris Hogan, who is has an investment book out there called Retire Inspired. And one of the things that he says in this book is that investing for the long term is a roller coaster. The only people that get hurt on a roller coaster are those that jump off early. Mm. Well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the stock market roller coaster, keeps on roller coastering on. Today, we are up. And it's not just the fact that we're up, up. We're up, way up. Down, or I'm sorry, up almost 300 points right now. 299. Hey, it just just jumped up. We were at 299.56. We're now at 306.09 for the Dow Jones 30 Industrial Average. The S&P 500, up right now at 39.31. The NASDAQ, all your tech stocks, back over 10,000 again, up 145.57. The global Dow is down just a tick, down less than 30. I'm sorry, down less than 40. But gold and oil and others are on their way up again. But right now, the Dow is surging higher this hour and ever, ever higher every time it updates. Right now, just at uh, over, well, it's essentially uh, up 307 this hour. Other news in business right now. California, surprise, surprise, plans to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered passenger cars and trucks in 15 years. They plan to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered passenger cars and trucks in 15 years, says the state of California. Governor Gavin Newsom yesterday ordered state regulators to develop new rules that would make California the first state in the country to ban the sales of new gas-powered cars and pickup trucks. Newsom's plan would not stop people from owning such vehicles or for selling them in used car market, but it would prevent the sale of new ones beginning in 2035. I read an article about a week and a half ago that since the beginning of the year, Florida's population has gone up 4.5% since the beginning of the year, of 2020, because people who want warm climates are fleeing states like California and actually the number one state for the Exodus out of California is just its neighbor a couple states to the east Utah really Utah and Florida are picking up so many California residents because of the taxes the climate and I mean political climate but then also when yesterday when California Governor Gavin Newsom says he is developing a plan to ban the sale of passenger cars and trucks in California
12: now Unless there's a lot of Tesla options out there that have become more affordable, then I don't really understand how, Uh, I guess, the used used car market uh, is going to go up, I suppose, in, what is it, 15
14: years? If you were looking at buying stocks, perhaps a used car lot, if it was publicly (laughs) traded, would be a good thing. However, out of Texas, and this is something that uh, I have to raise an eye about, uh, Mr. Tyler Cavalli, a major provider of software services to local governments across the United States has told customers that an unknown intruder broke into its phone and information technology systems. It could not be immediately determined whether ransomware may have been involved. Tyler Technologies, mm-hmm. out of Plano, Texas. Anything you want to disclose to us here, Mr. Kamala? I Come uh, on? will plead the fifth. Okay. Tyler Technologies, based out of Plano, Texas, sent an email to customers that had discovered the breach yesterday morning. Been working with law enforcement and enlisted outside cybersecurity systems. Tyler's customers include the city of Des Moines, Iowa, Hartford, Connecticut, and St. Louis, Missouri. According to a two thousand nineteen copy of its website on Internet Archive, the company has not immediately responded to the massive phone calls and emails from its customers. And if you like your favorite wine, mm. Sauvignon Blanc. I do love wine. Good. Red wine. You probably will not want Sauvignon smoke. Uh, but nice. that's a downstream effect of all the California wildfires. Smoke from those wildfires have mm. tainted grapes in some of the nation's most celebrated wine regions, obviously in California. The resulting ashy flavor could spell disaster for the 2020 vintage. Mm. So I wonder how Max Creek's going to fare right now. Well, I t- No California. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say no. Uh, let's just say that the 2020 is not going to be a good vintage coming out of California. That leaves other options on the table. And mm, very good point. James Arthur and others, and Max Creek, of course, uh, just right up the road. Uh, could be some options there. The smoke from this year's blazes have been especially bad, thick enough to completely obscure vineyards, drooping with clusters of grapes for almost ready their harvest. The growers are trying to assess the extent... Of the smoke damage in California, Oregon, and Washington, so actually it did double damage. Number one, it blocked the sun so it didn't get the requisite amount of mm-hmm. sun, and all the smoke and ash has fallen on the grapes. That is something I did not think about. I hadn't either until I saw this. The poor
12: little grapes.
14: So delicious red wine. could be an opportunity again to go three for three if you're looking to invest. a non-California grape might wine, be right? the one <laughs> might be the one you want to do. All right. Very good.
12: Well, or just hold on to those uh, those wine, the wine that you have now. Wow. Let it age a little longer.
14: Always, always better to put it back in the uh, wine cellar and see what it tastes like next year. That's right. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Brandon. sir.
6: Proud to believe in America and owned by the Americans we serve. 880-KRVM.
8: Institute and the Nebraska Farm Bureau released a joint policy brief on September 23rd examining the economic disruptions from COVID-19 on Nebraska's agriculture sector. The report looks at several areas including regulations and the meatpacking industry where there has been talk about having more smaller meat processors. Sarah Curry, Platt Institute Policy Director, says federal regulations is one issue.
15: Um, the other thing is when you have farmers that have hundreds and hundreds of animals these small local meat packing facilities might only be able to take 10 or 20 um, at a time and and they get significantly backlogged so i definitely think that's something to look into there's obviously a regulatory burden for a lot of these small businesses to overcome and that's why they aren't currently in the process of making meat that's you know readily available to put in IV V or, or one of our grocery stores with
8: COVID, the weakness of the system became clear. Jay Rempe, Nebraska Farm Bureau Senior Economist, says from a point of economics.
5: The the economies of scale in, in animal processing are, are quite large, uh, it just, and that's why we see the larger facilities that we do. They can operate much more efficiently at the scale that they do than, than a smaller operation. And we benefit both as consumers. We benefit from that through through lower prices at, at the meat counter and also uh, producers benefit from that from, from higher prices for their cattle.
8: Another area covered in the report is commodities. Rempe says Nebraska was hit hard and saw some of the largest price declines.
5: And so when you look at the Midwest area, the, the Corn Belt if you speak, which Nebraska is on the western edge of, that seems to be the areas that, that we're seeing the most struggle, the most financial difficulties. And Thankfully, uh, I think Congress and the federal government has recognized some of these issues and uh, had announced the CFAP program and uh, provide some direct assistance to producers based on the price declines that that occurred. And and we've seen uh, like $700 million flow into that and then just uh, into the state
8: While in the midst of the pandemic and aid to farmers and communities is still coming in, some economists are warning about a recession. Rempe says Nebraska right now is well positioned for a recession.
5: I don't know if you can ever be fully prepared. When you look at Nebraska's economy with with the manufacturing sectors and the financial institutions and insurance are are big sectors along with agriculture, they can weather a recession fairly well. Agriculture is going to need a couple things. One is uh, export markets are going to have to continue to grow and about the value of exports in the state of Nebraska make up about 30% of our ag receipts each year. And so that's a vital part of that. Curry
8: says economists' new change was coming after having the longest-running bull market the nation had seen in a long time. She adds the Federal Reserve has done all it can. Now fiscal responsibility is key.
15: And I can honestly say here in Nebraska, we have been doing a very good side on the fiscal angle of things. You know, we have a good reserve fund, rainy day fund, cash reserve, however you want to call it. Um, Our governor has been relatively um, conservative in spending the COVID-19, you know, relief money that we've received from the federal government. You know, we went into this pandemic relatively secure and safe. We knew that a recession was coming. We didn't know it was going to happen overnight with a health crisis, but we knew that some sort of economic disruption was coming. With many
8: uncertainties, the report also points to opportunities for Nebraska to be the epicenter of global food production, including advantages in natural resources, infrastructure, educational systems, and people. The report, entitled Disruptions from COVID-19 on Nebraska's Agriculture, is authored by Curry and Rempe, and is available at either theplattinstitute.org or at nefb.org. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman.
3: Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, looking here at the closing grains, mostly in the red, but Chicago wheat making a little bit of a comeback here at the end of the day. Is this more a currency trade play or a weather play?
16: Well, I think just squaring. You know, We've got some better move last night, I think, that was a... Uh, you know, waiting for that Chinese purchase to come in this morning. We didn't get it. Now, you know, you back off a little bit, I think, into into the end of the week. The report on Wednesday didn't start to kind of get a little more take on long form it soybeans, I although um, just the fact that that kind of uncertain event exists, you're going to see some profit taking. But I think, nine, you know, 960, 970 should be a decent spot, I'd say, to jump in if you, if you want to take a bullish, bullish bet uh, on some sort of liquidation tomorrow. Uh, I assume China will be out of the market. I think they start a, uh, an autumn holiday in the coming weeks. So um, I would imagine maybe they start to slow down some of their purchases. And, and that's been evident over the last couple of weeks as purchases have shrunk, not in, not in total size, but in like per increment buy. They've just been a little bit smaller.
3: And when we get out the export sales from USDA today, still very strong Chinese demand there and other countries starting to emerge in here. But you brought up the point, Golden Week is coming up and it starts a week from today. Typically, China banks out of the market. How long will they be out of the market once that holiday hits?
16: That's a good question. I I don't recall them being out in this time period, but I just think it's a um, kind of an ominous sign that uh, you know, when their their prices in their country fall a little bit, they're they're basically meeting reserve quotas. And I think it's still a, a South American weather market to get it to leg higher. So China, I think it, they're going to be around. And you could hear, you know, Sunny Purdue yesterday really put the put the screws to them on shipments. And I think the USDA has been very aware of that. Um, so far, China has been pretty compliant this quarter. Um, but long run here to get this thing to leg higher and trade like the twelve. And really, I'd say even above 380 corn. We need to have some sort of problem developed down in Brazil. And it's a little too early for corn. Um, but for for soybeans, I think that you, know, you could see a pop on that.
3: Just briefly here, we then look, though, Argentina, which not maybe as big a producer as Brazil, having currency issues, government issues. Could that play anything?
16: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's really the dynamic you're looking at. It's something like that has to, to flip before... You start talking about you know $450, 5 five dollar corn on just a regular basis. I think on an inflationary scale you can maybe get there, but we got to have a different commodity picture. Uh, one thing we haven't heard in a long time is the dirty word uh, "speculator." You know, and they're starting to accuse speculators of things in China. That could be something down the road in the U.S., but we're not seeing that at all. So this point.
3: again, we're talking with John Payne, senior marketing analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more: at dot com. Do you remember, trading future options involve risk of loss. Thank you very much, Clay. That will wrap up today's Midday
12: segment. If you miss anything from Midday, you can listen to our Midday podcast available on krvn.com or on iTunes.